Buono sera, and welcome to the Music Relish Podcast, our 20th edition of the Music Relish Podcast, with your hosts, Lou Colicchio, Cody Gedevich, and Mark Smith. So thanks for joining, and we hope you enjoy. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening, Lou. <laughs> now, my introduction, I, I wasn't saying... Buona sera, buona sera from the Godfather. It was buono sera, which means good evening in Italian. Oh, well, good evening. And what do we have in store for tonight, Lou? Nothing but trouble. Okay, well, I'm good at that. Okay, so tonight um, we're going to do, actually, I would like to start with a little bit of a relish recap, a few things from last week. And we're going to talk about uh, Robbie Robertson. Um, We're going to talk about, um, but can they act? musicians who've made the transition to celluloid for better or worse. All right. Yeah. And we're going to talk about uh, Neil Peart. We're going to talk about Stephen Wilson of Porcupine Tree, maybe some Jim O'Rourke, a uh, producer and a very interesting musician. And I might have forgotten something, but if we do have time at the end, I have a little tidbit I'd like to add. A little, yeah. A, so, little, a little, little history tidbit. So what kind of recap do you want to go on about? Okay. Well, you know, I, I like to joke that I always say, you know, when, when a band loses their original great uh, drummer, they're sunk. Um, and so and a lot of times that has been true. And I do say it as a joke in a lot of ways. But we're, we've been talking about this particular band a lot the last couple of weeks. And they're one band who actually, you know, they had a great, two great drummers. The first drummer's great. The second drummer's great. Uh, but they, you know, they thrived and went on. And that band was Wilco. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, ironically enough, we, were, we, were, we kept mentioning drummers, drummers, and the one, that very show, we were talking about a band who actually got another drummer and who was very different than the original drummer and just did other things that were equally great, you know. Um, that's uh, original drummer uh, Ken Coomer and current drummer Glenn Kachi. And uh, the other thing I'd like to add, you know, we we're talking about Mike Bloomfield and such. And I mentioned, I thought, I said that was Mike Bloomfield playing with um, Muddy Waters at, the, at the, uh, the last waltz, but it wasn't. It was Muddy's guitar player. A guy by the name of Bob Margolin. So that's just a little correction. But uh, today, actually, I was listening to the radio and it was Little Steven's Underground Garage on XM. And he was talking about uh, Mike, um, uh, Mike Bloomfield. Really? Yeah, yeah. And they were talking about some of his, his earlier stuff. And he mentioned that he was, he said that he was the first American rock and roll virtuoso before Hendrix. But, you know, he was. That's that's how he's known, you know, and um, they also played a, a cut from the Electric Flag, who I used to get mixed up with Black Flag, couldn't matter, you know, years, years back. But <laughs> couldn't be more different. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, th- th- there were a blues uh, band. It was um, Bloomfield, Harvey Brooks. I don't know who the other guys were. But anyway, so that was just a little recap from um, last week. Things, you know, might have said out of context. But um, we were, t- you know, we we're talking about recently, like, you know, a lot of musicians and singers and whatever they they are they're in movies, musicals or dramas or comedies or whatever. So there were some, you know, in the things, but could they act? Um, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so, off? What's that? Do you want to start off? Sure. I'll mention one. And um, and this was one where you know you could you could say yes or no. Bing Crosby, you know, your Bingle. Um, you know, he acted. You know, he acted well. Bells of St. Mary's. I'm whatever <laughs> movies he was in. But he was someone. You know, he was a, a, a singer and a crooner and the early four, I guess, late thirties, early forties. Um, and yeah, so he made the transition ra- rather well. And he did other things too. I didn't look up any, a whole bunch of his movies. You know, the whole thing could take a lot of time, 
But um, yeah, he was someone you know. You could say yes, Bing Crosby could act. And if he I ever never saw a Bing Crosby movie, so uh, yeah, I used I'll to take it for it. Okay, yeah, it was you know he played a priest and you know all kinds of things and uh, um, but you know if he'd ever done a, a collaboration, had he lived, if he could have done a collaboration with um, uh, Guns and Roses, they could have done a song called "Welcome to Der Bingle." <laughs> well, that's right. Der Bingle. Germany. In Germany, he was known as Der Bingle. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, Lou, I agree with you because when I see those old TCM movies with yeah. Bing Crosby, he just comes out like a standard actor. He's good. He, yeah. he was a natural. Yeah. He was smooth. He was smooth just like he was as a singer. Yeah. Now, the, fact, the fact that he beat his kids with a baseball bat is not what he's saying. Apparently, he wasn't quite the fatherly priestly figure he was in the movies. Let's drag him through the dirt now. Relish dirt. <laughs> relish dirt. Bury him with relish. Dill relish. My my new Mark, it's my new fetish. <laughs> I put it on everything. Is it so a health food related other, item? <laughs> other than Drupingle, who else do you uh, have as a musician who uh, became right. an actor? Um, uh, Frank Sinatra. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so and, that's, he was good. And, and maybe better, better than most, you know. I mean, you know, he did. He won an Oscar for a short movie. He did. Um, it was in my neighborhood, or something. I forgot the name of it. But um, it was like an. It wasn't like you know a best picture thing. But he did win an Oscar for that. But you know, he won the Oscar from from here to eternity. That was his. Uh, that was his Johnny Fontaine comeback role. Yeah, yeah. He, he played Maggio, and you know, and that was his. He you know he come back from having this singing career almost in the in the dumps for a, a hemorrhaged vocal cords. But he did other things. Failsafe. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, the Mentoring Candidate. Um, that the you know the original one you know it's it's a great movie it's still great I have that on uh, DVD it was something that he could prove he could act the man with the golden arm um, yeah, pretty heavy stuff some, especially in that movie that was quite heavy yeah. oh yeah 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 and even um you know mentoring candidate that was a very serious subject to do in the early sixties yeah. given, <laughs> given the light of the Kennedy assassination and all that you know pretty important stuff uh, the remake was good too with Denzel and uh, Lee Schreiber too but I'm partial to the original. Well, apparently Hollywood remakes everything now. Yeah, yeah. They have, there's no more original ideas apparently because they just remake. They remade Footloose, West uh, West Side Story. They remade but, that. They remade uh, what was the one with Patrick Swayze and then where the uh, the Russians came over and uh, Red Dawn. Red Dawn. They remade that too. I mean, I, now I got a question. If, if you pee in your radiator, can I watch you make your car run? You know, I don't know. Tends to drink a lot before you peed. I'm, I'm, sure <laughs> you alcohol. I'm sure you have someone on YouTube can answer that. <laughs> I don't want to see that. <laughs> Mark, have you got any musicians that uh, have turned into actors? Yeah, I got I got a long list, but I don't want to step on your toes. So I'm just start off with a good and a bad. Uh, I was personally really impressed with Dave Matthews and because of Win Dixie. Hmm. And uh, didn't like Dave Matthews as a musician before that, you know. When I saw Winn-Dixie, he fit the role of Otis perfectly. I just think that the guy, and I understand he's been in other movies, but that was the only time I saw him. And uh, when he brings his jar of pickles to the party, he, great acting. <laughs> I, think, I think I saw him in an Adam Sandler movie, Don't Mess With the Zohan. Really? He played a racist. Uh, yeah, he played a, like a real right-wing racist um, a guy. It was a very, very comedic, and I think it was him. He was very good at it. Yeah, he's, you know what, he is from South Africa. Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> whoa, whoa, all right, yeah, all right. Yeah, but you know, family, it's good. Family like, show. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. Fuck me. Um, <laughs> so here's the bad. Gene Simmons, that movie he made with Tom Selleck. And he thought he was oh. a star. What was the name of that movie? And I cannot remember. It was called Lassiter, I think, or something like that, where he, it was a, like a futuristic, uh, yeah. He made these little cars. That. They would go under another car, blow it up. He was like, you know, the kiss of the Phantom, the Phantom or whatever that movie. Yeah, that was hammy. But he thought he was a big star. He was horrible. Even when I was a teenager, I'm like, this sucks. You know? <laughs> Gene, he was not that good in that movie. Yeah. Not at all. And he never acted again because it made him look bad. So if it makes Gene look bad, he won't do it again. Smart guy. Smart guy. At least he, at least he stopped. You know, he gave it up. Yeah. And well, it, we have to we have to specify that you know in this category, as far as musicians who you know have been in movies, we don't count like the Beatles, Hard Day's Night, or anything because they're just yeah. being Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And, so, 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 in that yeah. movie, Phantom of the Whatever, that yeah. doesn't count yeah. because they were just being Kiss. That's right. Although Jimmy Page acting in uh, uh, Song Remains the Same, climbing up that cliff that I hear was recorded at the Englewood Cliffs site. That was good acting. That was really good acting. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course you're kidding. That's so okay. I got one more. No, no I got one more. Uh, I'm going to throw in there Eminem because he only made one movie that I know, but it was Eight Mile, and I thought he did a great job. I, I do too. Yeah. I, agree. I, I didn't see it, but I heard it was a pretty good movie. Yeah. Okay. So so far, Bing Crosby, yes. Sinatra, yes. Dave Matthews, yes. Gene Simmons, no. And Eminem, yes. Okay. Can I throw one in? <laughs> yeah, man. And we know it's going to get a yes. It's a great musician, Tom Waits. Yeah. Uh, now that's got to be a yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. He, absolutely. He is Tom Waits. Is just he is just an entertainer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I've got another one. I don't know how you feel about this, but he's a musician, a very good musician, and he's also an actor. And the name is Harry Connick Jr. That was on my list. Yeah, that's on your list. Yeah, that's a Harry Connick Jr. So, so that that's a plus, right? That's a that's yeah. a good one. Now, what is the movie he played? A, he played a killer, a murderer. What what was the movie he was in? Uh, he, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I, I could remember yeah. the name of the movie, but I've seen him in. Uh, Hold it. IT Mark is looking. Hold on. Oh, yeah, that's right. You've got your... Uh, He's our, re- our research assistant. That's right. The technical <laughs> advisor. Who is who sucks. Copycat. He was in Copycat. That's that was it. where he put him. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and, uh, yeah. Uh, Tom Waits was... I saw him in Ironweed. He was, now, you said he was in The Outsiders? Uh, I think he was in The Outsiders. He, wow. And he, I saw him in a, in a Jim Jarmusch movie. With um, with Adam Driver and Bill Murray, where they were like they were they were killing zombies, like you know the whole the, the whole town was taken over by zombies, and you had to cut the and uh, Tilda Swenson was in it also, and you had to chop their heads off. <laughs> so it, was, it was quite it was quite funny, but Tom Waits played this sort of like a hermit who lived in the woods, and he observed everything. So, you know, no zombies got to him or anything like that because he was just a hermit that lived in the woods. And mm-hmm. uh, he observed the whole thing. And it, was, it was quite funny, actually. Wow. Cool. So uh, I, got, I got a couple. Um, this one, I, I talk about this guy all the time because he is, he is the man. Uh, Levon Helm. Oh, yeah. Levon Helm. Levon. Uh, Brother he made, Levon. He made the transition into acting for music via Tommy Lee Jones for, in Coal Miner's Daughter. 
Um, he played Ted Webb, her father, and apparently he was not only was he just great on the set. Um, I read where you know he was he called it in his gone for good makeup, and they were trying to sing Amazing Grace, and he's laying in the coffin going, "Shit, this ain't right." <laughs> so he gets up and he just sits up, you know, in the coffin, which has to be that's always a great scene, I would think, anywhere, you know, and starts leading him, picking out the harmonies, saying, "You got to do this, you got to do that," and led them. So the version I think I believe you see of Amazing Grace was kind of you know he kind of pushed them in a more Appalachian direction. Um, but you know, there was talk of an Oscar buzz that uh, best supporting Oscar buzz when he got in, you know, and I, his, his performance is that authentic because that was just, I, that was just him, you know, maybe being himself, but, uh, really good. And, you know, we've talked about him in his other movies before the one he did with Wilford Brimley. Um, I started watching or rewatching the right stuff last night. Cause I see, I, I have it on one of my channels. I'm like, I love that movie. And Perry, we're talking before, like the whole cast is great. The whole cast is great. The whole and, cast is great. Yeah. And, you know, Levi narrates the movie and he plays um, Chuck Yeager's sidekick, uh, Ridley, <laughs> Major Ridley. Well, can, uh, I, can I comment on one thing about Levon? Yeah, of course. I saw him in a Steven Seagal movie where he played a preacher and it was called Fire Down Below. Huh. And the bad guy, the bad guy in the movie was played by Chris Christopherson, another musician. Oh, yeah. Earned actor. He's on all these lists we got there, yep. too, you know. Yep. But wow. leave on, yeah, man. Yes, yeah. Guy. yeah. And it's funny because, you know, in, in The Last Waltz, you know, if you see the movie, I mean, he the guy's got charisma anyway, but he's so natural. That was his whole thing when you watch it. It was such a watchable movie, but where you see Robertson wanted, you know, he was supposed to be the star, you know, and we're going to talk about Robbie today. And I, you know, I have so much respect for him. And I even like the guy, you know, but I um, mean, he's looking into the camera, which you don't do, but Levon was just natural and. He became the actor, you know. Uh, Ro- Robbie did Carney, which wasn't bad, you know. Um, Gary Busey and Jodie Foster and a little uh, kind of a traveling Carney show. But Yeah, was that like a Marty Scorsese production? Uh, no, that wasn't. It was not Martin Scorsese. But um, Robbie probably, he was probably the, uh, he produced it. But I don't know who directed it, actually. Well, here's um, the shame of it all. How old was Levon when he died? Uh, 71, I believe, 71. Yeah. Um, yeah, was it was that in 2011, I think. Coming up on his anniversary. Is it wow. April something? He, yep. um, and, um, can I throw in there one of my favorite Levon movies? Oh, uh, yeah. The Three Burials of Melquatas Estrada. Did you ever see that? No, I, you know, I have not seen much of uh, the his last few movies I did not see, but I, I need to. Well, that has two musicians, too, because Dwight Yoakam's in it. But okay. um, he plays a very small role, but he's awesome in it. You'll like it. See, try to track that movie down. I will. Well, um, we may as well go into Dwight Yoakam then because he is a fabulous actor. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah yes, same thing. You know, he was he by Doyle Hargraves in Sling Blade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, um, and, and, and by the way, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. yeah. He was a musician before he was an actor. He was. He was. Yeah. yeah. In um, fact, I have his album. His band is called The, uh, the Boxman, and he's the drummer. Hmm. He, he drums on the records, but when they're on tour, He's the singer, so he had. They have someone else playing drums, but Billy Bob Thornton is an is a real, you know, musician before he even got into acting. Hmm. Um, I got, I got one here. Actually, this this is. I don't know if you guys ever heard of this movie. It's got two uh, well-known musicians in it. It's from 1971. The movie was called Tulane Blacktop. Yeah, James Taylor. James Taylor and Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. Yes. Yeah. yeah, good one. Good yeah, one. Yeah, with uh, with Warren Oates and uh, an actress, Lori Bird. 
Um, you know, I couldn't find any information on what their performances were like. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars, but apparently they said, you know, it's a road movie, but it, it takes some interesting. It's a very metaphoric. Uh, I, I've metaphoric seen it. It's an underground. Have, have you seen it? Yeah, oh, I have. Cool. It's an underground classic. That's what it is. It's got cult, uh, cult classic status. And, you know, I, 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 I seen it next. I've seen a few clips from that. It must have been the past because I've known this for a while. Um, you know, it, it was fitting for the times. You know, they were kind of like laid back people on the road, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it, it worked. But, you know, that's I think that was probably James Taylor's only movie he ever made. That well, had nothing to do with you know, if you're in the right frame of mind, if you know what I mean, to watch that movie, you'll enjoy it. You mean in some kind of altered way? <laughs> you, mean, you mean like really small, don't you? Drinking wine? Is that what it is? No. Okay. Sure, that, that always counts. <laughs> Can I throw in an actor, a uh, musician? An actor, go for it. I think is a thumbs down. Thumbs down, yes. Sting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you sure? Uh, to me, to me, Sting is a thumbs down. <laughs> yes. Uh, except on SNL when he was uh, when he was Billy Idol. I think that's his best work. On the Sinatra group. <laughs> yes. well, well, yeah. That. Well, we're talking about like you know, yeah. <laughs> right? The movies and. Uh, yeah. Um, yes. I, um, well, he was he was in Quadrophenia, but I never saw Quadrophenia. Oh, he was bad. He played okay. Ace Face. He was yeah. just, yeah. Uh, he was just a kid when he did that. He was like 16, I think, or 18. No, he was, no, he was Probably 37. When he <laughs> Probably. No, he was already in the police. Um, but then he, he did Brimstone and Treacle. Mm. Uh, kind of a little like, satanic type movie. Uh, he had a song in it. Um, I Burn For You. Yeah, good song. Very yeah, good. It, song. Actually, it is a good song. I Burn For You. Stick um, to lyrics and stick to music, Stink. You know? Yeah. No, did you ever see The Bride? Yes. Oh. Yeah, bad, I know. Bad, bad on all accounts. Now, I think, all right, now, as we both like Dune, Perry, have you, you've seen the, uh, the David Lynch Dune theatrical version. Um, with Stink, Kyle McLaughlin. I have, with, um, what's his name? Uh, Kyle McLaughlin. I have, yeah. I, I mean, I like it, you know, but Stink's pretty bad. In retrospect, he's like, he's really chewing up the scenery there. I, don't, I mean, I was supposed to be a Maniacal what was, over the top. What was this big line? I will kill him. I will kill him. <laughs> yeah, but that movie, the music was done by Toto, so that makes yeah. the movie three stars, in my opinion. <laughs> I, 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 I give it, Mark. I give. I, I enjoyed the movie. Having read the books, I went yeah. to the theater knowing what was going on. And the theater I saw it at, um, it was in Bergenfield or something. They handed out little sheets that gave you like uh, descriptions of what the terms meant, what what a gum jabar was and stuff. Yeah, yeah. you know, you're reading it in the dark. All right. You, I, I didn't go to the movies in, in New Jersey for most of the 80s. You know why? why? You, couldn't, you couldn't see the screen for all the giant hair, the big hair. You couldn't see it. <laughs> all the hair farmers. <laughs> I'll tell you, Sting had one good role. It's very short. He played a bartender in Lockstock and four, two smoking barrels. Really? Uh, yeah. All he did was he just played the main character's father, and he's like, Oi! Boy, you got it. Get a foot in the air. Oh, and you can't even understand what he says. Perfect in that. <laughs> okay, oh. so guys, sting. Thumbs up. Thumbs down. I, I mean, I, I, I'm giving most, mostly thumbs down. I mean, for his the movies he made. How about um, you know, his, 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 his featured roles? You know, he's not, he's not a movie star. Yeah. yeah. How about Mark Smith? I agree with you guys. Um, a four-second cameo doesn't make you a good actor. Thumbs down. <laughs> stick to the music. Great musician. Still loves singing. Good one. Now, I've got one more, and I don't want to offend anyone. I don't know how you guys feel about this. But to me, David Bowie's a thumbs down as an actor. I disagree. 
Okay. I, I haven't seen enough of him in the movie. I didn't see The Man Who Fell to Earth. I never saw that movie. I did. I did. But I did love um, um, Labyrinth. I thought that was a great movie. <laughs> and apparently, he, he really doesn't belong in that category. Mm. What, what, what do you mean? <clears throat> apparently, he was an actor before he was even a musician. Really? Yeah. Apparently, he went to some theatric institute and things like that. So... I retract what I said about David Bowie. He does not even belong in this category because he was an actor before he was a musician. He, what, what kind of acting did he do? I mean, it was it was the probably was... some stage and you know and things like that. So it's kind of productions. You know, in the uh, same in the same. I would like thing, I would like, like a, I, want, I want another ruling on this one though. I, I I never read that. I thought he went to some mechanical institute. Anyway, but I thought he, um, I like you know what though. A lot of musicians were actors they, or they went to art school like Phil Collins did stage. He was the main guy in Oliver as a kid. He was a That's he was right. a, uh, a child star in England. He was in a but, hard day's night. Yeah. Poor guy. Well, he didn't well, make I, it I in. just want to reiterate that when, when I'm talking about David Bowie as an actor, not as a musician. I mean, okay. We all respect David Bowie as as a musician. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. This is a different category. OK. But even still, you know, I, the, the acting I've seen him in because I didn't know this prior to this. Um, he played Pontius Pilate in The Last Temptation of Christ. I thought he was very convincing. He did The Elephant Man on Broadway. I mean, that's pretty serious. Yeah, well, I didn't see that, but I heard that was quite good. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, okay. Oh, you got another one, Lou, you want to throw in there? Uh, yeah, let's see. Well, we, we mentioned, uh, well, I want to mention um, John Lennon. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was in, he was in The Beatles. I heard, I've heard that, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, even if you watch some of those early movies, though, even like, you know, The Hard Day's Night Help, um, so even the um, Magical Mystery Tour. I thought he was the best thing on Magical Mystery Tour. I thought the way he, even though the movie's kind of thrown together, it's a crappy, you know. I thought he was rather, something about the way he was doing things, I thought that was interesting. Uh, Richard Lester, who directed him in the, um, Hard Day's Night and How I Won the War, said he had all the makings of a really good actor. Yeah, the um, American, Richard Lester. Richard Lester, yeah. Um, you actually have a connection to uh, How I Won the War. I do. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, um, his name in the movie was uh, the uh, Private Gripweed. Private Gripweed. Yeah, and, uh, and? I'm, I'm I'm friends with the uh, the members of the the great New Jersey band, the Gripweeds. Yes. I am speaking of which, a little aside, the other day on Underground Garage, I heard one one of their first singles, a song called Salad Days, that Edenville attempted to cover. But anyway, but yeah, so that was me. So John Lennon and. Um, and he, even though they were playing themselves, he was very good in the, in the uh, well, they were all good in the first two Beatle movies, even though that Ringo kind of had a well, feature part. Let's go. We have to go into Ringo since you mentioned John Lennon. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, Ringo, even though it was a Beatle movie, Ringo had a featured part in Help. You know, the movie was based. He was the he was the target of, of he the. He was the star of the movie, actually. He really kind of was, you know. Yeah. And uh, but, you know, but as you mentioned, Ringo, he was in a you mentioned what was he? Uh, Caveman. Caveman. Well, the, the, the have a lot of dialogue. Zug, zug. <laughs> uh, he was in The Magic Christian with Peter Sellers and a whole bunch of other people. Yeah, yep. He was in it. Yeah, Ringo. Yep. Now, while they were in movies, George made movies. And George started, produced movies, yeah. He, he made better movies than Paul. Handmade Films was his company. Uh, Which is responsible for a great Monty Python movie. Yeah, yep. Yep. That was cool. Uh, Mark, have you got another one? Okay, yeah. I got one, but first I've got to say one Dwight Yoka movie that i got to mention also, because he really is a good actor, Panic Room. He was a son of a bitch in that movie, <laughs> and you wanted to see him get his head caved in, and he yeah. did. 
But that movie also had two musicians, Jared Leto. Jared Leto counts because he was a musician before he was an actor. So uh, two musicians in that movie. And I want to say that Dwight Yoakam studied acting. He did. Really? Yeah, he did. did. Yep. He did. Okay. So he doesn't count? Uh, (laughs) But listen, I'm going to say... Yep, I'm going to say... I was pleasantly surprised by Lady Gaga and A Star is Born. Yeah. Wasn't enamored with the remake. I, I, I liked it. I really did. Bradley Cooper's starting to rub me the wrong way. But um, <laughs> it was a good movie. And it had Sam Elliott in it. Whenever Sam Elliott's in a movie, I just got to like I heard it was it was great. Yeah. He was very good in it. You know, so I think she's got a future. I think she'll do something. Well, well. In, in, in that I, movie, in that movie, did Sam Elliott say, it just makes good horse sense. <laughs> have some sarsaparilla. All right. So while we're here, while you mention that movie, the prior production yes. had two musicians, mm-hmm. actors in it: Barbara Streisand, Chris Christopherson. Yep. 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 Right. And, and grew- Barbara Streisand is a, she is a great actor. And she, I grew up with that movie. That's the version I know. And Chris yeah. Christopherson won a Golden Globe uh, for his portrayal in that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and may I say that uh, one of my favorite movies, one of my all-time favorite movies is a movie called Songwriter with Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson. Great movie. And um, and um, who was the guy who, uh, well, give me a minute to think of it, but, but that movie was, uh, and they, they didn't play themselves. They played, you know, Chris Christopherson played Blackie Buck. You know, a country star, and they yeah. wrote all the songs. They wrote all the songs yep. for the movie, and it also starred Rip Torn yeah, as, as, as Dino, the shady, the shady promoter. You know, it's just a great. <laughs> I can movie. see it. Great movie, songwriter. Yeah. If anybody can find it, if you have the time to watch it or locate it, locate it. It's hilarious. I got it on DVD. If any of you guys want to see it, I'm out to you. Great movie. Oh, Vicky Raphael was in it too. Another musician that. Acted. <laughs> okay. I have one. I have to get out of the way. It's the elephant in the room, <laughs> Mr. Slap Happy himself, Will Smith. <laughs> but a great actor. <laughs> he is technically a musician turned actor. Yeah, um, yeah, he can act. He can act. He won an made Oscar. some good movies. He won an Oscar. <laughs> he he. Well, he he is a musician who became a movie star. Yeah. So there's a little difference there than uh, other, you know, like who who have dabbled in acting. He became a movie star. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, well no, he started in television. He was the Fresh Prince. Well, he was a D. De- you know, he was before he was he doing was a recording music. artist before that. Yeah, but he, he didn't go right to being a movie star though. Right, but he he became a movie star. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's still Uh-oh. acting. Gray area in the rules. Uh oh. All right. All right. Um, I got one. What have you got? It's obscurity. It's an obscurity. Uh, B.J. Thomas. Yeah, what movie was he in? He was in a movie on 1973 with one of our cultural touchstones, Robbie Benson. And it was called Jury. It was a, a weird Western. There's no reviews on it. I remember seeing it like late at night, you know, whatever, 1130 on a Sunday night when I'm supposed to go to bed before school. And it was like a Western thing. I had somebody who was looking for his father. Like it's a wagon train story. It's, it's the, the memory is vague, but the only thing I remember, there's a bar scene, and this guy, his name was Jocko. 
and he's trying to discuss something, and a guy shoots him through the forehead. I remember it was pretty graphic, and, and I remember it, it disturbed me. And I'm like, they should have got lined down, and, and Robbie Benson his jury is just losing it. Um, so then eventually, years later, I probably saw it again. I saw the name B.J. Thomas. I'm like, raindrops keep falling on my head, B.J. Thomas. Somebody's done somebody wrong sometimes. Um, but yes, yeah, so he was in a movie, and I mean, I remember the movie. I remember his character. I thought he did, he did rather well. So I, I would give B, uh, the late, he died last year, I think, the late B.J. Thomas, I'd give him a thumbs up. I would give him a thumbs up as well. Yep. And it's, here. An, it's, an obscure, it's an obscure movie, too. And uh, what, what was Robbie Benson in? <laughs> was he Bad Ronald? Oh, he was Bad Ronald. <laughs> and may I say, may I say, there's a movie out there. It's, uh, it's um, adapted from the book called The Chosen. And yes. Robbie Benson, a Hasidic Jew. Yes. Very good movie. And it stars Barry Miller, also, who played just an Orthodox Jew. And it had, um, it had, um, not Max von Sydow, it had Maximilian Schell in it. And it had, um, and it was just a great movie. It, it was a really good movie. Yeah. But that, without awesome. Robbie, and, you know, Robbie Benson also, he was a pop. He was like a little pop icon because he was in like Tiger Beat magazine. Yeah. Things my sisters used to have those magazines. Yeah. And, you know, they always had like David Cassidy and Robbie Benson in it. You know? uh, we, so, we, have, we have a relish recap correction here. Uh, yeah. ba- Bad Ronald was Scott Jacoby. It was not Robbie Benson. Really? <laughs> yeah. They, it was, he was in something else. But there was something, another movie of that mid 70s period where it was, they're kind of iconic because that was 74. Robbie Benson but, was in one of the worst movies ever made. By National Lampoon. It was National Lampoon production, and it was absolutely horrible. It was the worst movie that they ever produced. Huh? What was it? I couldn't tell you the name of it. Somebody's going to have to research it. Huh. I'm looking uh, now, but look, was it, you was know it what? OC, was it OC and Stiggs? I don't remember what it was called, but it, it starred Robbie Benson, and it was a uh, National Lampoon production. And it was, you know, supposedly somewhat of an ensemble cast, and it was just bad. No one got it. Here's something interesting. Um, Well, his debut movie was Wait Until Dark. One of my favorite movies was the Audrey Hepburn. But he auditioned for the role of Luke Skywalker. Can you imagine if he got that role? Wow. Yeah. No, I can't. So can I throw one in here? Sure. About a musician, singer who became an actor? Her name is Cher. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, she did. Her name is Cher, and to me, she sums up all the way. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah. many good movies. She is just so good. Even, yeah. even, even some of the music, I've heard some of those old songs of hers going back. Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. Yeah, they, were, they, were, they were well done. You know, she, she had a unique voice. She could sing. You should, people said she couldn't sing back in the day, but she could, you know? I don't know yeah. why. I don't know why she had a. She's like the dinosaur of rock and roll. Where, you know, they said you know she has a voice, but it's not in tune. But I don't. I didn't hear it. You know. No, her 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 uh, timbre or whatever. Her you know the way she's. Yeah. I don't know if she's a what you, what you consider that. You know, she's not a soprano. She sings in that mid level tenor, yeah. whatever it may be, right? No, but, but she had a, a distinctive voice. But you know, you hear those some of those songs now. You know, leave the sunny shore. I don't. I'm not particularly fond of that sound of. You know what I mean? It's like 65 pop, but not quite rock and roll. Um, but you no, know, it was very good. But you no, know, she was right. she was she made the transition acting really really well too. You know, not, she absolutely did. Thumbs up yeah. all the way. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Mark, you got one? I'm done. My lines are empty. 
Yeah, this is a long one. Um, we, I have a, a couple quick mentions there just to say, you know, give them uh, their nods. Uh, we've talked about Paul Williams before, songwriter. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. He's done some acting. Um, let's see, Robbie, oh, we mentioned Robbie Robinson. Mac Davis was in um, North Dallas 40 with Nick Nolte. He was in a football uh, movie, yeah. He was in a football yeah. movie. He was fine. Uh, Hoyt Axton. He did some acting. Yeah. Uh, Bette Midler. Mm-hmm. Bette Midler. She's really good. Baby. She became a movie star. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dolly Parton. Ice Cube, mm-hmm. Ice T. Uh, Madonna cannot act, by the way. <laughs> well, no, well, well she, she, she can act, but it's thumbs down. Yeah. For Madonna. Uh, listen, one movie she acted good in, League of Their Own. I have to say she was good in that movie. Yeah. All the okay. Way yeah. All the way yeah. All right, all right, all right. All right, I've got another one. Can I throw one in there? Yeah, then we're, we're done. Um, Dolly Parton. Dolly, of course, Dolly. <laughs> yeah, she's funny. Uh, you mentioned Ice T, right? Yeah, yeah. What about Ice Cube? Ice Cube, too. Yeah, yeah. Jay, Mark Wahlberg. There was the uh, one just going to come up with, Marky Mark Wahlberg. The yeah. guy was, he was in a pop group. Yes, he was. Um, right? Were they New Kids on the Block or they a new edition? I, I <laughs> see the point command, New Kids on the Block, you know, whatever they were. But not, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. He was That's Marky Mark, Mark and he became an actor, and he is now a movie star. Yeah. 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 And can I throw in one more? Keep going. Uh, we lost him recently. Meatloaf. Mm, Fight Club. Oh. Um, Meatloaf. What about that um, that movie he did with Steve Martin, where Steve Martin was sort of a traveling preacher? I didn't see it. Right? Yeah, I forgot about that. Meatloaf was really good. And, and I heard he was in the original production of Hair. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Wait, uh, he might have been an actor before a musician, though. We need a ruling. Yeah. We got to look into that. Okay, we'll look into that. So yeah, you got to ask, ask St. Peter for that one because he's gone. Let me throw one more in. And this guy, to me, is a pretty good actor. I've seen him in a few movies. Justin Timberlake. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Good actor. He's a good actor. He and He's a musician who became an actor. Yeah. Yep. Right? How about Prince? Act, can he, could, he, could he act or no? I, didn't, I never he was, Purple he was, Rain. Purple Rain was good because he played it. He played himself in Purple Rain. He did a great job. Okay. Yeah, but I don't know. Still if he could... down. It was a horrible script and a horrible movie. <laughs> I like the movie. So I'm a closet <laughs> fan of that movie. I like Morris Day. Come on. <laughs> and I have one more who's an actor now. Tim McGraw. Yes. And he's not a bad actor. He's pretty good. <laughs> he's actually pretty good. Yep. Yeah. So, um, look, so, Lou, where do you want to go next? That was, that was a biggie. That was a good category. You came up with that, by the way. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, well, we are talking about maybe you, know, you got the uh, Robbie Robertson testimony book. I, you just passed it on to me. I just got it in the mail last week. So I read about 15, 20 pages, um, and I'm immediately enthralled by it. And the, the book is called Testimony, like the song from his solo album, Testimony. Yeah. Take yeah. the truth. I will testify. Um, he's, you know, he's, a story, he's a storyteller. I'm hoping this is him. These are really his words, you know, just either he wrote it or he just dictated it to someone because he does have a gift and his songwriting as well. He has a gift for storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. Just the way he's describing riding that bus down into Canada. Wow. You know, it's like green, but you know, wet behind the ears or whatever. I mean, this is a little kid. Um, and what I loved about it, and just as far as I got, when he describes Levon Helm, he goes, he goes, this is shining light on stage. He loved that guy. He was just. He did. He, he did. He did. You know, and the whole thing that was. That was his inspiration, you know. 
the other guys, I, the other guys were all from the same place, but you know, Levon was was there. He goes, he was really real. Like he was, he was from that area where all that shit began. You know, he's from the womb. You know, in the rock and roll room. But um, yeah. and you know, just the fact that I think, I I, I hope hopefully the Robbie hatred is subsiding. You know, maybe he's a dick. He's an arrogant, conceited guy. But I don't know. I I, I never got too much of a bad vibe about him. And, you know. Well, I like to think that not everybody's just so look, you, you know, left and right and middle, whatever. Like you know, it, they were a great band. Yeah, they were great friends. They loved each. They loved each other. I mean, Robbie was at Levon's bedside. Yes, he was. Or was he not? Well, he might have not, not been there when he died, but he visited him right before he came to see yeah. him. You know, you know, they. they I'm, you know, talk about a fly in the wall. I mean, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be a crying fly if I was. But you know, that had. I, I would think that was a pretty tender thing. It wasn't. <laughs> Wasn't I? I think I read where um when Jack Bruce found out he he was dying, um he called Ginger Baker and goes, "I'm about to fucking die." And that was, <laughs> yeah, was and Ginger like, Baker said, "I'll come finish you off." Yeah, I'll poke you in the face with my stick. Um, yeah, yeah. To the it seemed like I mean, I hope if that's true, I, you know, to the very end, I kept that shit going. But I, I like to think they there were some. Reconciliation, but, but yeah. when you get when you get deeper into that book, the stories are going to be great. Like I have one passage here when they were touring with uh, with Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks, right? The Hawk and Robbie Robertson was saying they were a little nervous when they officially when we officially passed them to the south. We pulled off the highway to visit a gun shop. We bought small Derringer pistols, switchblades, blackjacks, brass knuckles, and even tear gas pens, whatever yeah. we could. Whatever we conceal and be concealed and quickly assessed. By the time we pulled back into the highway, we'd spent nearly our last dime, and the Cadillac were like two mobile arsenals. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Because they were nervous. It was their first trip down there. Like uh, you know, Levon. Levon took Robbie. Says, "Hey, Robbie, come with me. Let's go visit my folks. I'm going to show you Marvel, Arkansas, hmm. gateway to Indian Bay." You know, that's the kind of friends they were. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that they were driving around in a Cadillac, you know, you're supposed to. That's they the, were driving uh, around in a 59 Cadillac Seville, which was given, which was uh, belonged to Ronnie Hawkins. And, you, you know, the size of those old cars, you can fit the whole, there's five guys or, or whoever's five or six at that. Time. And all the equipment in there, too. <laughs> sure. You know, I, I like the part where, they were, where um, Robbie gets two songs on, um, um, on the Hawks album, and it's got this guy McGill as a co-writer, and it turns out McGill is Morris Levy, the notorious Morris Levy, the gangster record company owner, uh, who just you know, in the, the story he told about, you know, they dangle the guy out the, out the window if he didn't sign it, sign his stuff and share his songwriting royalties just to get published, you know, in that music business. Yeah, dude. and that's a true story too. He yeah. got hung upside down at the Brill Building, by the way. God. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yep. So there was another story we hear where um, when they finally, uh, when they were with uh, Albert Grossman, of course, became their manager. And uh, so he's, uh, they say to Bob Dylan, hey, Bob, this is my guitar playing friend, Robbie from Canada. This is Bob Dylan. You could, uh, Robbie said you can barely see his eyes through the dark glasses that he wore. But there was a high voltage in the room hmm. from Persona. Wow. Bob said hello. And um, he said, uh, Bob said, you want to hear something? He's like, yeah, I'd love to. Bob teased him and said, you sure you want to hear it before? You know, yeah. And he, Bob, uh, Bob Dylan played him like a rolling stone. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
man. Yep, because they were visiting him at uh, Colum- They brought uh, Robbie over to Columbia Studios, I guess. Yep. I, uh, if I was in that room, I'd be a conceited prick, too. I'd say. I, Bob Dylan played me that song before anybody heard it. My God, that's so cool. Uh, Mark, are you a fan of the band at all? Are you? Uh, yeah, I am, and I have a kind of a. Uh, it's a personal connection because I, I think I explained oh, yeah. this in another show. But when my dad retired, well, he didn't retire. When my dad decided to move to Catskills, he was ten years short of retirement, and that was not a smart move. So he moves up there, and the only job he could get was to be a bank teller, and he got a uh, he got a job with Fleece. I mean, Fleet Bank, and um, he went. He you know he was all over the Catskills. Finally, they settled him in Woodstock. Being in Woodstock, that was the big bank in Woodstock. So he met a lot of people. He would call me and say, funny, I don't know if I told you this, Lou, but he called me once one night and he says, do you know who Levon Helm is? And I go, yeah. <laughs> he goes, he's the nicest guy. He, I, and My dad was nervous being a teller. He said, he comes in and he's talking to me, shakes my hand. He tells me, if you ever want to cut, he actually invited him over his house. Wow. Had I been back then, if I knew you back then, I would have said, Lou, Come on, let's go up to the Catskills, you know. Yeah, but he said, I, I, um, yeah. he said, he said that Levon was nice, great, but always broke, always broke. He would get a check, he'd spend it. Um, <laughs> and then Rick Danko, let, you know, rest his soul. Yeah, he would get his royalty check, and he would want everything in tens. We know why. Yeah. Please, please give me that five thousand in tens, and they couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, but Robbie Robertson came in because he recorded a few times at Bearsville Studios and. And uh, he said he was just very reserved. He was not not nice, but he. Yeah. This is back in the day when the artists themselves had to come into the bank. They couldn't send someone in. It's, it was a different time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, um, but Rick Denko, very nice guy, but he knew he knew his his issues, and he felt bad, you know. Yeah. And, uh, he said he did say something like Robbie was just reserved. He's almost like I get the impression he was like an Englishman, very reserved. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. he, he, he didn't, I mean, he wasn't a regular. He didn't come in expecting, so he didn't come in expecting people to fawn over him and like that. Plus, I mean, you know, a guy of his stature, too, you know, he, he was never the down home country guy. He was much more of the urban sophisticate, you know, yeah. as far as that band goes. Yeah. Le- you know, Levi's that kind of guy. You know, he'll, he'll invite you over his house and, and mean it. Um, yeah. You know, well, the other thing, the other problem with Levon is if anyone needed money, he would give him money. That's why he was always yeah. broke. He was too nice. And it was frustrating because, like, he almost lost his farm a few times. He's yeah. like, oh, I'm broke, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing about him was, you know, he finished his life and his career such a high note. And the appreciation and recognition he got um, was well done. It was long overdue. But, you know, he won a couple of We're talking about Robbie. We end up talking about Levon. <laughs> we're, talking, we're talking about the testimony book, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and Levon's a big part of that book. So of course absolutely. he is, and yeah. so, and so is Ronnie Hawkins. I mean, the more I read about Ronnie, the more I like him. And I will say to this day, their version of "By the Hawks" it is one of the most incendiary pieces of rock and roll ever laid on vinyl. I mean, that thing yes. is it burns every time you hear it. It's it's amazing. Everything that song is just they're playing like demons. The drums, everything. Yeah. Robbie's off his off the guitar player. I listen to that solo. It doesn't sound like it's that hard. It's just the way he did it. It's just so dirty and raw. It's, it's now, are you pure. talking about the actual recording? Or are you talking about from the last waltz? <laughs> no, the actual recording. It's, it's Ronnie Hawkins. It's, it's Ronnie Hawkins. I don't know if it's called Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks or not. But it's, it's not the last waltz one. But it, it, it's their, it, the last waltz version was their take on it. Um, 
But this one, it's fast. It's just swings. Levon, Levon's amazing. <laughs> but the whole he, band, he the piano playing, I mean, it's just, it's totally, Mark, have you ever heard it? Yes, I have. Yes. It's, oh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's just, it's how. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like, you know what? what you it, when I heard it, the first time I heard it, it re- and I heard it like kind of late in life, like in my 30s, it yeah. reminded me of the first time I heard Led Zeppelin. Like, whoa, wow. a wall, brick it's wall coming at me. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely. It's it's like it's violent. I mean, this was I could now picture when it was like probably sixty one or sixty when they recorded. You know, I make their parents think twice about what the hell are you listening to? You know, that's, <laughs> that was the devil's music. You know, uh, Perry, have you ever heard it? Have I heard uh, the original version? The, the vinyl version, the original version. Yeah, I probably have. Just can't recall. It, yeah, it was but so long ago. Ronnie does these screams that you know on the last Wall Street scene going ah. You got to hear the ones on the record because he's 20 years younger and he's just, he's just, I was going to play it, but I was going to do 10 seconds of it. (laughs) Oh, that would be so cool. That's all we're allowed to play. Yeah. (laughs) Couldn't hear it very well, but I mean, that's, yeah. Now, unfortunately, when, uh, when they were up in Woodstock and Dylan was living up the road and, uh, Dylan was so popular that he said, I've got a lot of weird shit happening at my house, man. I don't want to build a gate. I don't want to live like that. But people started, they found out where he lived. They started digging through his garbage and all kinds of weird people would turn up at his house. And it was like, you know, that's pretty scary to him. And uh, he was really spooked by that. Well, yeah. Well, that's when Woodstock was, I think Woodstock was a lot like Asheville was 30 years ago where, you know, it was a little hideaway. People didn't know about it. And, yeah. and once, you know, Dylan came there, the band came there and, after, you know, then everyone else, I mean, Graham Park, Graham Parker lived up there, uh, Marshall Crenshaw. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I would too. Um, Todd you know, I, I've, I've been there one time, uh, Jim Bogart and I took a, a ride. Just, we went hiking up in New Paul. So let's go up to Woodstock, you know. Who's Jim Bogart? Uh, Jim Bogart, you know who Jim Bogart is. He yeah, is I know, but not yeah. sure anyone else does. Well, that, Jim Bogart was the uh, drummer, and well, he was a percussionist in a band called I think we were the Verbs, and then he became the drummer in a band called Edenville. Um, Perry and I were in one of the bands, but not both bands. But um, yes, he's a fine drummer. Um, anyway, so we went to Woodstock, and we, we knew Bearsville Studio was there. We just didn't get an address. There was no GPS shit back then. So anyway, we it's hard to find. It's really hard to find. I found it because I had an invitation. You would never find it if you didn't know. We we passed by. Mark, I think we passed. Oh, by. you did. Okay. Like, once I saw the pictures in retrospect, I said that was it. I, I that was the place, you know. But we were, <laughs> we were we were just there just to drive. So we drove through Woodstock and went went back down to New Paltz. You know, New York. This is you know this is upstate New York, people. Up Hudson Valley, great great area. Hudson Valley, yeah, yeah. So can I move on a little bit? Yeah, man. I would like to move on to talk a few minutes, just not very long. About we were talking about Wilco last week. Yeah. Right. And Jim O'Rourke is a, a fine musician. He was in Sonic Youth for, I don't know, 10 years or so. And um, Jim O'Rourke was the guy who, uh, who mixed. He mixed that uh, album Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Mm. And he produced the 2004 album A Ghost is Born, for which he won a Grammy Award. For best alternative album, right? Didn't know that. Yep, I think yeah, he won. The, well, he, there was they won two awards. 
Uh, they won the best alternative album, and I don't know what the other one was. Um, maybe it's best production, or, or I don't know. But uh, you know, it, it's weird that I think the mixed Yankee Hotel Fox that must have been a real bitch, I would think. You know, it, especially if you know, I guess that maybe maybe that was the first time he worked with Wilco, but you know, there was a whole different Sonic album for them. That was, you know, that was a departure for them. He could have had a lot to do with it being becoming a masterpiece. Yeah, I would think so. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I never, I knew, I knew him from that. When we were talking about him last week, I said, "Did he work with REM?" But you said Wilco. I said that's where I, knew, I remember his name from. Um, so our friend from Knoxville, uh, Submitter, has heard a lot of his more of his ambient stuff, and I would just start. You know, I, I knew of him. But I started listening to some stuff recently, and you mentioned Loose Fur, which I really, really like. Yeah, well, while he while he was uh, while he was working, while he was producing a Ghost is, a Ghost is Born, he also collaborated with Jeff Tweedy and Glenn Koch under the name Loose Fur. Yeah. Love it. Love Their title de de debut was released in 2003 and the follow-up Born Again in the USA in 2006, which is the one <laughs> I had, which is really, you know, a really good record. And I found something interesting too. Now, um, Jim O'Rourke also mixed the unfinished recordings that made up a planned third album by the late American singer Judy Sill, recorded in 1974 and mixed by Jim O'Rourke in 2005. Apparently, she passed away, and she was really good. Hmm. And it was it was a shame, but she died very very young, and uh, she had two records, and this was the third record that she was uh, that was planned, and she died, and uh, so he. He tightened up all the recordings and uh, got it for release finally in 2005. I, I never heard of her before. Now, here's something more interesting about Jim O'Rourke. This is a movie that I really like. Anytime this movie is on, I will watch it. It's called School of Rock. All right. Jim O'Rourke is the guy who taught them how to look like they knew how to play instruments. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Oh, cool. Wow. Yep. So he made the foray into acting. O'Rourke worked as a music consultant for the 2003 film School of Rock, in which he taught the child actors in the movie how to play the songs. Well, that's really cool. He was supposed to have a cameo role in the film as well, but couldn't do it because he was on tour with Sonic Youth. Oh, I thought he, well, he wasn't on camera, so he was a technical... technical he was director. an advisor, a musical oh. consultant. He, he taught them how to look like they're playing the songs. Interesting. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah. Yep. He did a great job. Absolutely, that movie is just like I said. Anytime that movie is on, I will. I will watch it. I love that movie too. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that was just a little Jim O'Rourke thing. Uh, now, Mark, you have somebody you wanted to talk about. Well, you Wait, guys, man, Mark, 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 can we do one thing quick before that? Sure, uh, sure. We mentioned Wilco. Wilco. We've been talking lately. We've got to mention Jay Farrar and Sunvolt. Yeah, I love Jay Farrar. I, we, we, we're, ne we're neglecting that other half of Uncle Tupelo. I mean, I, we, uh, you know what I mean? And, and it, it's, he's a great musician and, um, and, and an equally great band, you know. But um, maybe maybe a couple episodes down the road or something we'll do. Yeah, because, because Jay Farrar has the golden voice. Yeah. yeah. They both, both are great. Yeah, yeah. He, he listened to them sing all day. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Mark, who is Stephen Wilson? 
All right, you guys probably going to get tired of me. You've already heard me mention him. Uh, in my whole life, Stephen Wilson has become my favorite musician ever, topping Blackmore, topping Keith Emerson. I'm sorry to say. Really? But Steve Wilson is a hidden gem in English music, all right? So the guy was born in 1967, so he's basically my generation. And that's why I think I, commu- like I, f- I can see where he's coming from. He grew up in the 70s, and just like me, he had parents that gave him all these albums when he was like five, six years old, just like my sisters gave me albums. So that's why I was listening to brain cell surgery at, in kindergarten, you know, mm-hmm. but um, he, uh, he came of age in the eighties and he started doing his own thing. Um, just did a couple bands in the eighties, but then uh, in the, you know, in the early nineties, he, he started to do his own cassettes called, and he put them under the name porcupine tree. He played all the, the, the instruments. So it would be, you know, basically drum machines, keyboards, and Porcupine Tree kind of took off. You know, they, they got big, so he put a band together. And uh, just like Wilco, there's a big parallel with Wilco and Porcupine Tree, I think. Uh, they suffered the loss of a big drummer, and they got an even bigger drummer, mm. and they continued on. Um, but, um, yeah, in the 90s, Porcupine Tree got really big. They had two phases. They had an electronic phase, and I've always heard it said that I agree. It's like if Pink Floyd in the 60s had the keyboards of the 90s, that's what they would have sounded like. It's kind of, you know, it's very, but very dark. But, uh, you know, I like keyboards and stuff. And then um, they came to America and they decided they wanted to get a little heavy. So they kind of crossed over. They got a new drummer in Gavin Harrison, who, Lou, if you've never heard of him, check him out. He is so good that uh, the minute Porcupine Tree disbanded, King Crimson just grabbed him. He's oh, really? a scary good drummer. Okay. Scary good drummer. And uh, but when they came, you know, when they they turned to a more hard rock sound, but they still retain their progressiveness. And I gotta say, it's a dark sound, but dark can be beautiful, like Pink Floyd. Sure. You know, there's, yeah. there's a dark, really good, and through it all. Steve Wilson's melodies will stick in your head and they will not leave. You want to tear your scalp off to get his, the melodies out of your head when you hear some of his songs. Um, but he also has a side career. He remixes albums and he's trusted by a lot of the older, you know, the older uh, bands like Ian Anderson entrusted him to remix a whole Jethro Tull catalog and King Crimson too. He has a great friendship with Robert Fripp. That's He's what remixed. I found interesting is the fact that they trust his ear so much. Yeah. And it's amazing is when he remixes, uh, there's an article on him. He basically said if he's contracted to remix an album, he says, okay. And he will only remix an album he likes. He, or for instance, he did the first, he did Emerson Lake and Palmer. He did Tarkus. And then he was like, I'm gone. I'm not doing trilogy because I don't feel it. Like he will do only the albums he's interested in. He remixed uh, Chicago 2, which sounded like utter shit. Wow. And he, he was able to. But when he remixes an album, he literally goes bar by bar and listens to the original. And he li- and then he remix because he doesn't adjust levels. I, this is getting into mixing things, but he'll listen like the guitar solo on Aqualong. And he'll go, okay, it went down at this point. So I got to lower it at this point. His, his goal isn't to make it sound different because he's you know a lot of remixes where they change the sound people don't like it he wants to respect but the original recording but then it's coming through modern equipment so if you hear his remix of aqualung it sounds the same but it's a lot clearer right. and that's in addition to being a, a freaking excellent songwriter 
he's got a great ear for remixing. He's done XTC. He's done Marillion. Uh, he did the first. He did a bunch of Yes albums. Well, here's Nick, one. Here's one. Can I cut in? He yeah. Fixed. Tears for Fears. Songs from the Big Chair. Wow. Yeah. 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 Now, I would like to hear his remix on that. It's fantastic. I have it. Come over. <laughs> it's great. And um, he remixed the new Tears for Fears. They weren't going to do a 5.1. And they thought, well, let's call Steve. And they Steve said, yeah, I'll do it. So they put out a limited edition of the new album on uh, 5.1. And of course, I had to grab it. You know, uh, he just got a great ear for what appeals to you in music. Like so the, the Chicago uh, remix, for example, he said, look, I know that people grew up listening to those levels, those tracks. So when he remixed, he said, I'm not changing it. You know, it's like it's part of your, you know what you're hearing. So he respects the original. And he also respects that people don't like everything he does. He's, he's great with criticism. Hmm. Um, but so in addition to that, let me just say he's done a few solo albums, quite a few. And his, his uh, career defining was Hand Cannot Erase which I strongly suggest you listen to if you can find it, because it was based on the story of Joyce Carol Vincent. She lived in London and she was murdered and no one knew she was missing for three years. And they found her body three years later in her apartment. When he read that article, he said, you know, let's look at the whole thing. Where did she come from? She moved away from home. She went to the big city. In the big city, no one knows where you are, who you are. Yeah. It ended up being his career-defining album. But um, it was a great album. And, it, and it's up there with Yes is Fragile. It's up there with all the greatest prog albums because he does incorporate three-minute pop songs, which, by the way, Greg Lake did with ELP. He would incorporate great pop songs into their music. And, uh, yeah, he's just he's he's a he's a scary good songwriter, musician, producer, remixer, but no one in this country will ever know about him. Sad, you know. <laughs> well, it says here he has worked with artists such as Elton John, XTC, Opus, Pendulum, Yes, Fish, Marillion, Black Sabbath, and Anathema. So, what was he producing those records for them? Um, Black Sabbath, he remixed one of their albums. I believe um, it was Technical Ecstasy, just out of the blue. They they said, um, could you remix? Because, um, again, he may not have liked all Black Sabbath albums, but his parents probably gave him a vinyl of Technical Ecstasy. He says, okay, I'll remix that one. So he did that one. Um, XTC, he's very good friends with uh, Andy Partridge. And uh, Andy Partridge wrote a couple songs, co-wrote on Hand Cannot Erase. So they're they're really tight. And what I love about Steve Wilson is he did his last album and it created a fear because once you do, once you do prog music, the prog fans don't want you to change. They want you to stay the same. His last album was early eighties keyboard techno, those, those um, real analog sounding keyboards and the fans just destroyed them. And somebody from Argentina actually came to England to say to him at a press conference, your album sucks. I hate uh, what you've done. Kind of like that guy in Don't Look Back that said Bob Dylan should be shot. Remember that guy in England that was like, he should be shot for what yeah. he's doing. But Steve Wilson said, the fact that he got on a plane and fly to England to tell me I suck, I admire that. Like, he doesn't let it affect him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he's Don't a great any. Well, <laughs> I sampled I, I some of his stuff because, you know, I, I heard of Porcupine Tree, but never heard them. So I listened to some Porcupine Tree and some of his solo stuff. Very different. Yeah. You know, um, and it's all different. It, it, was, it was more technology. You know, keyboard pads sound like, you know, there's some nice melodic stuff. 
Rice. I don't know who the girls he was singing with. It's a modern, actually. I'm calling. I I might have heard some some. Well, I'll tell you what, Lou. If you're going to listen to one album, uh, listen to In Abstentia, because that was the first album with uh, Gavin Harrison, and uh, that was their big heavy album. And it's kind of like, kind of parallels Rush. It's kind of got a Neil Peart. You know, Gavin Harrison was great in it. So, uh, so but that's it. Out, I bet you it says here his concerts incorporate quadraphonic sound and elaborate visuals. So it's probably a great show. I saw him. I was lucky to see him. At, in Porchester at the Capitol Theater, Porchester, New York, with Anthony, my son. And um, in addition to the music, into the, the show, he's got a great uh, banter. He's got a great in-between uh, talking to the audience. He's got that great uh, wise-ass English sound. Like, you know, he he wants to offend in an English way. And then he, he, he said something which always struck me, and this, this reminded me of Woco. He said that um, a reviewer of his show in Seattle said, that Steve Wilson covered Porcupine Tree. Steve Wilson said, I am Porcupine Tree. Those are my songs. I don't cover anything. I cover my songs. I really liked when he said that. Because it's his group, you know? And by the way, they're they're going to play in September. They reformed up with seeing them. So. <laughs> yeah, I heard he released, it says here, he released his sixth solo album, Future Bites. Yeah. January last year. A limited edition single copy uh, sold on pre-order. For, um, and anyway, all the proceeds were going to some music venue trust to save UK music venues affected by COVID-19 pandemic. So he's doing a lot, a very charitable thing. Well, it's funny because that album, The Future Bites, the song he did with Elton John is called Personal Shopper. And it's really a nine minute song about how we waste money. It, Elton John's contribution is he talks and he talks about, um, he says, custom vitamins, $90 a bottle custom volcanic wax you know he's talking about how we're such a market-driven society so he did this thing where i'm going to sell a one-of-a-kind album a copy of i think it was a cassette of of, of that album for ten thousand dollars someone actually bought it and he donated it to like keeping the music theaters going you know there was a whole fund during the covid shutdown that theaters were closing so uh but you know it's funny he, he it, people will cough up money for anything yeah <laughs> yeah well that, that's a, it's, it's a very it's a very it's a cool thing and yeah. uh, so so one other thing i wanted to talk about was this i found out recently there was this paul mccartney tribute album mm -hmm. right yeah it was called uh it was called what the uh the art of paul or something yeah like that. yeah yeah and um i just found it cool like uh, i know you searched it a little bit and uh and, um, you know, Chrissy Hines sang a song on there. Willie Nelson sings Yesterday and, uh, you know, things like that. So um, it'll well, like, a, you know, a pretty good thing. And uh, you know what it shows? Whether like, they, you know, we've seen countless Beatles covers. We've seen countless George Harrison covers. What What's important about these albums is if a modern artist record like say i hate to say this but say billy eilish records a paul mccartney song at least someone's going to hear how freaking good that paul mccartney song is sometimes people need to hear their favorite artists record a song to understand how good that composer is 
And I've become fans of artists through covers albums, through tribute albums in the past for that reason. So that's what I like about that album is, you know, it could be Barbara Streisand singing a Paul McCartney song. And then you hear it like, I'm not here. Like you're just hearing the music and you're hearing how good it is. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're, we're at an hour already. And uh, I think maybe we should just uh, sign off. And, sure. Uh, and uh, say good night. And um, I'll talk to uh, you and Lou next week. Okay? Well, Perry, let me just say one thing to you. Yeah. I'm sorry if I made noise tonight. I, I can't learn how to pour wine without spilling it all <laughs> over my so, so I'm yeah. sorry if you heard some noise, but I was like, trying to get paper towels and clean up this wine. Uh, so. <laughs> anyway, have a good night and I'll see you, you next time. You too, Perry. Good show. Bye. Oi!